0: Hope College, Hope College, so good to be with you. If you're joining us at the gathering, you're jumping into something we've been doing. We've been peering over the shoulder of St. John. We have been exploring John's epic poem and revelation of a particular vision that he has, a vision that's going on right now. Whether you know it or not, the governing dynamics of reality is a worship service. What we're after is to form our lives in such a way that we prepare ourselves for eternity. What I wanna give you is a vision of worship because you aren't gonna stay here at Hope College. Hope's a little nest and you're gonna get strong and get enough credits and you're gonna fly away. But when you fly away, what I hope that you take with you is something so deeply grooved into your heart and your mind and your soul. That wherever you land, you will know what to do. You'll know how to worship. And so this semester, we've been taking our time, patient, repetitive, because the most important things we do again and again and again. We want to see what's happening in worship, and not only see it, but find ourselves participating in it. We have seen that worship centers around a throne. Worship gathers a a great diversity of creatures that has its own harmony and unity around a confession of Jesus as Lord. We have seen how they sing and how they pray and how they proclaim. And tonight, I want us to pay attention to how worship sacrifices. How worship sacrifices. But to do that, we need to get back inside Reality. We need to push through the wardrobe and find ourselves in a strange yet familiar world called the kingdom of God that's breaking in upon us even here tonight. And so let us go into that vision again. Let us hear it once more. And if at any time you can help me, I will point to you and you help me. And we will experience this together. The word of the Lord as it comes to us from the book of Revelation chapter 4. Hear the poet. Hear the theologian and the pastor, St. John. After this, I looked and there in heaven a door stood open and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there in heaven stood a with one seated on the and the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian and around the is a rainbow that looks like an emerald and around the throne are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their head and coming from the Brown. are flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder and in front of the Brown. burn seven flaming torches which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth and in front of the Brown. there's something like a sea of glass like crystal around the Brown. and on each side of the Brown. are are Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, oh, thank you, is like a lion. The second living creature is like a... The third living creature has got the face of a human face. And the fourth living creature is like a... A flying eagle, and the four living creatures are full, have six wings and are full of eyes all around and inside and day and night, night and day, without ceasing. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their eyes before the... And they, and they sing. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated upon a a scroll, written on the inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I heard a mighty angel, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the scroll and open its seals? And no one was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was able to open the scroll and break its seals. And then one of the elders came and said to me, and he said, do not weep. See, see. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed from God, saints from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard the sound of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, singing with full voice, worthy as the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one who was seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever And the four living creatures. They said, amen. And the elders, they fell down and worshiped. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right now, right now, right now, that's reality. That's what's going on right now. That's what John wants us to see. That's the reality he wants to groove into our soul so that at any time and in any circumstance, we can put the needle of truth on our hearts and that truth will begin to sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals for you were slaughtered and by your blood you were ransomed from God, saints from every tribe and language and nation. We see in this vision that God centers our life around his throne. We see that there are the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the angels and the myriads and everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth is, is gathering together. We see how they sing these five great hymns. We see how they pray the bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints and the proclamation. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. But did you also see Did you notice Did you pay attention to the sacrifice that makes all worship possible? Do you see the line of the tribe of Judah? And then John looks, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. And then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Between the four living creatures, between the elders, between everything, he looks, he's looking for the lion, and he sees a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Friends, what makes worship possible, what inspires Christian community. What makes this whole thing a reality is this lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. It's critical to notice. If there is no lamb, there's no gathering. If there's no lamb, there's no singing. If there is no lamb, there is no proclamation. If there is no lamb, there is no prayers and bowls of incense. It is the lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered that makes this possible for us to be here. And that, what's made it possible is his sacrifice. The lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. What's interesting to me, what's interesting is that the elder proclaims, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And then John is looking for the lion. And we love the lion. Don't we? It's majestic. He's powerful. He's graceful. The lion is the symbol of the king. Do not weep. You see the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And we love that he conquered, that he has won. It ignites in us a, a sense of pride, a sense of even power, a, a triumphalism. And too often times Christians, I think, have had been attracted to that conquering language and had taken it into ways that they should not have done because they actually miss what John sees. John is pointed to find the lion, and what he sees is the lamb of God. Look. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. So John looks where the elder tells him to point, and between the four living creatures... And the elders, he sees a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered. The lamb is not the symbol of power, but of weakness. The lamb has no real strength of its own. The lamb is an innocent that is slaughtered. That's how Jesus conquers. That's how Jesus wins. That's how Jesus won. Not by power, but by his sacrifice, his sacrifice. The lamb, when that shows up, and it shows up 28 times in the book of Revelations, every time the word lamb shows up, it is pointing to the reality of God's sacrifice for the world that makes our worship and our Christian life possible. The lamb, of course, is that great symbol of Passover freedom, of removing the people of Israel from slavery way, way back in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. God sends Moses to Egypt and says, let my people go free. Pharaoh says no. And so God sends 10 plagues. And the final plague is the angel of death taking the firstborn son from every Egyptian, even Pharaoh himself. And the Israelites were asked to put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost and the angel of death would pass by. Passover. That's the context of this idea of the lamb. The lamb is the symbol of God's passing over uh, on on that awful, awful night that helped inaugurate the people of Israel to go free. And ever since then, the lamb has been a symbol of freedom, a symbol of sacrifice. What's interesting, later on, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, becomes the lamb of God. The lion of heaven becomes the lamb of God, and he becomes God's firstborn son, who his blood is put on the wood, and it takes away the sin, not only of Israel, but of the whole entire world. You see, when we see the Lamb of God, we are witnessing the whisper of God's primordial and deep narrative laid bare. A long time ago, God created a world, and it was good. It was knit together in justice, fulfillment, and delight with God and with each other, with ourselves, with all creation, and then through disobedience, sin comes into the world, and God cannot dwell in sin. And that which was full of harmony was shattered into a billion pieces. But God so loves the world that he made a promise, a covenant that says, I will bring salvation to the world. And so he makes a people through Abraham, which is to become Israel. Part of Passover was God keeping God's promise to himself to bring that people out of Egypt and bring them into a land that he had promised to give them, a plan where they could flourish and multiply and experience his joy and his deep community. And so God gives them the law. He gives them prophets. He gives them a king, David, and he sets them up for a new life. And this people rebelled again and again, but God kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. God keeps coming back. And he comes back to them finally in person when the Word becomes flesh, when Jesus takes on our humanity and he becomes, as God and fully human, our sacrifice that sets us free from our own slavery to sin, our own desire for evil. The cross becomes the symbol of the lamb. Do you see, Do you see the lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered? What's interesting to note for me is that how God brings salvation into the world isn't the way we would think about doing it. He doesn't set up a political reform. He doesn't do it through military dictatorship. He doesn't do it through setting up an education, just pouring the right information into people's heads. He doesn't do it through uh, economic establishment. He doesn't do it through entertainment, trying to get our attention off into something else. No, he does it in such a way that he gets at the very root of the problem. He sacrifices so that we can live. And that sacrifice is what brings us into worship. Worship is all about God's primary act on our behalf. How does God bring salvation to the world? God's choice is sacrifice. What makes worship possible is God's sacrifice once for all on the cross. Sacrifice is God's way of dealing with what is wrong in the world, which is to say what is wrong with me and with you and with us sacrifice. God makes it personal. God saves by giving his life for our life. That's the symbol of the cross. We love the lion and the conquering language, but the way God conquers is by emptying himself of all power and privilege so that others can have it. What would it look like on our campus, or our country, if we as Christians took that seriously? What might change? Is there a way that you can sacrifice at Hope College? Maybe your reputation, maybe some of your privilege, maybe some of your habits, I don't know. But I wanna ask the question. Is there anything that God is calling you, you, to sacrifice? Because the way of the cross that leads to life is God's choice that inspires how he will make all things new. But notice if you're you're wondering about the sacrifice, what that looks like, pay attention to the whole phrase. The elder says, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah is conquered. He's looking for a lion. He's looking for the lion. Where's the lion? And then he sees a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, standing as if it had been slaughtered. He sees not only a lamb, but he also sees one that had been hurt, one that had been bloodstained one that had been opened up. His scars are still there. This is a resurrection image. We can sacrifice because of what God has accomplished on the cross, but not only the cross, but also the grave that is now empty. He sees a lamb standing as as if it had been slaughtered. He sees the resurrected Jesus. This is the same one who John sees earlier in chapter one. Then I turn and and there I saw uh, between the seven candles One whose head and hair was as white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. It's the only place where Jesus is physically described in chapter one of Revelation. But later on, we see him described again as a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. It's amazing, this resurrection image. The lamb that was slaughtered is alive. This is a world where the resurrection has taken place. But what's interesting to me is the lamb still bears the wounds of sacrifice. The lamb still carries the scars of the cross. And this is significant. In St. John's vision of eternal worship that's going on all the time, right now, Christ the risen is there. And as he is there, he still carries, right now, the wounds, the scars from his cross. There's that great moment in the resurrection story, and Thomas says to those that have seen Jesus, I don't believe you. Until I see the marks in his hands, until I put my hand in his side, I will not believe you. And then Jesus shows up in front of Thomas. It says, Thomas, put your fingers here. Touch them. I'm real. The the wound, put a hand here. It's real. The wounds of Christ are his identity. They tell us who he is. He did not lose them. Scars went down into the grave with him, and they came up with him, visible, tangible, palpable. Rising did not remove them. He who broke the bonds of death kept his scars. And I've always found that comforting. In fact, it keeps me a Christian. I don't know if I could believe in the God of Christ if that Christ hadn't resurrected but also that Christ didn't still carry his wounds. You see with Jesus scars is an invitation to come into worship with our wounds. When you become a Christian you still bear the suffering marks of your life. But the good news is that God meets you in them saying, put your hands in my wound. Can there be real joy without first knowing sacrifice and suffering? I don't know. But the fact that right now the lamb is standing as if it had been slaughtered is critical in our faith. It means that we can bring our wounds to a God who is wounded. Life happens. It isn't always clean. We come in with scars into this chapel, into your day. Scars that are both visible and and many that are invisible. The suffering's real and you carry the questions, the doubt. And here even in worship we're met by a conquering lion who is at the same time the Lamb of God And when Christ comes to meet us here, he comes with his own marks of suffering. I don't know why God lets so much go unchecked. I don't, I struggle with it. John, I don't know why God let your dad die early. Nabi, I don't know why your friend has cancer. Jennifer, I don't know why God allowed your son to get sick. I don't know why. I can take it to prayer, but I don't have an answer. But what I can do is come in here with you to a place where God's sacrifice gives new hope and new life. I can come into a place where I can bring my scars to a God who has his scars. I can worship that kind of God, a God that shows up, a God that bleeds, a God that gives all of humanity hope. I don't know what your suffering is like, but in worship, we're met by a God who does. In worship, we remember and proclaim that the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered by becoming the Lamb of God. Friends, worship sacrifices. But the good news is, it is God's sacrifice that makes worship possible. He's not asking you to be him. He's asking you to receive him. Here at this table, we are reminded that God makes it personal. Here at this table, we are reminded that suffering is actually the path to new life. And if you come in tonight with some suffering or some questions like, I just don't know why God allowed that, I want to invite you to this table and to bring that question here. Because here's the good news, is that God is here. Call it the Lord's Supper. Call it communion. Call it Eucharist. Call it real presence. Call it what you want, but come here and receive the lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Receive the living Christ who is here to nourish you. Here we are given a new vision of reality. Here at this table, we don't just see legs and a a flat top. Here we see a foreshadow of what is to come. Here at this table, it points us to a longer table. And around this is people from every tribe and language and nation. People are coming to this table to be fed by God's sacrifice that gives life for the whole entire world. And if you have scars that you think keeps you from this table, you are wrong. Jesus says come, come to this place, come to this table, come and receive me.